guys, I, I am sorry about this whole time fiasco thing. Um, I totally take the blame on that. We certainly did the 7.30. We certainly uh, tried at least in uh, June-ish to do that number. Most, I mean, there were very good reasons for it, but I, I did get feedback that 7 o'clock would probably be better. Um, so we will revisit this and really make the time firm, okay, and let you guys know. But I'd like to begin with a word of prayer and just kind of share with you a little bit of uh, what's going on in my life over these last months or so. And we're going to jump right in, all right? Father, I thank you again for your grace. I thank you for the opportunity for us to open your word. I ask tonight, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just be so active in our lives we thank you for your grace, we thank you for your precious word, and we pray, dear Lord, that as we hear from you tonight, that you would um, change our thinking, ignite us, encourage us, strengthen us. Uh, we love you. In your name, amen. Well, the summer is always different for every one of us, but uh, at least for Sharon and I, the last, the month of uh, July for the most part, is a time that we spend a lot of time up at camp. Uh, some of it was vacation time, just kind of visiting people and connecting with people. My brother's up there, we have a lot of ministry friends and opportunities. Some of it was chapel camp, where we had an opportunity to connect with our kids, um, Unbelievable numbers there. It was crowded. It was crazy. And God seemed to do really some amazing things in, ju in junior high and senior high kids. And then the following week, uh, I had the opportunity to be able to speak up at the Silver Birch High School camp. And many of you know that I was a youth pastor for 27 years. And like high school kids were my life for the most part, or our lives. Um, yet, that part of my life, I, I hadn't visited for a while. And I was actually quite intimidated, quite scared. I had the opportunity. I loved the environment, but it was just one of those things that I wondered, you know, if I'd be able to actually do it. You know, that that really was the truth. And and I, I and I had prayed through this, and I had received encouragement about this. I, um, but I just wondered. You know, it was one of those things. I, as you know, again, I don't speak often here anymore. And although I love the opportunity I get to teach, that there was just some different dynamics that were going on. And what I would say is this: the very first night um, that that camp happened, I felt was a disaster. I, I Maybe it wasn't that bad. Um, and, and, and people were encouraged. But, but for me, it was one of those things where I left and I talked to God and I said, God, what, you know, was, is this about the message? Was this about the first day? Was this about... And, Again, there's there's a lot of dynamics. I, I used to direct the camp and recognize there's different ebbs and, throat, uh, ebbs and flows of a camp. And 
you know, all that to say is that it kept me on my knees, kept all of us on our knees. I had asked you guys to pray, and one of the one of the neat things that happened is that I think I listened to God well and moved forward, and and I think kids were affected, and, and it ended up being a pretty powerful time. So I'm pretty grateful uh, for your prayers. I'm pretty grateful for the opportunity to do that. And, um, and then we came back, and literally, hello there, James. We just started, James. We, we, yeah, we, we, I, I confessed we have great confusion of everything. Um, but see, really what, what happened, at least in um, our lives, you, you know, you, you jump into the ministry thing, and there was, at least at this time, chapel budget stuff. And so we're working on all of these different details. Then immediately following that is Spring Hill Camp, which again, it really falls in, in Michelle's lap. But everybody kicks it in. I mean, it's just different. And we have opportunities to do things that we normally don't do. And, you know, I mean, by God's grace, some really cool things happened. Uh, never mentioned the amount of money we needed. For scholarships, other than the big picture. Um, the day before we opened up camp, we ended up having, I think, within $100 for exactly what we needed for, for scholarships. Um, three weeks before camp started, we had 50 kids. When camp started, it was almost 90 kids. And for me, as I look at this, this ministry, this life, if I mean, the more kids, the better. And I don't care about numbers. What, what I care about is transformation. What I care about are, are multitudes of families that will send their kids and hear about Jesus. They'll come even the last day. And even in our neighbor's situation, brought a sister. And, and all of a sudden, things started to look different. And God was working in these kids, and, and all the labors, and all the prayers, and all the giving, and all that happened, and you know, you're, you're excited about what God is actually doing. Um, and so, as we move forward, you know, we're looking again, um, September's normally a kickoff time, Labor Day's kind of crazy this year, as you guys know, it's, it's the latest that ever is, and then it, you know, kind of ekes forward for a while. Um, but, but ministry starts moving forward. And one of the things that I had looked at is, hey, we're going to start a series in 2 Timothy in June, and then we're going to finish the series, hopefully in August. And we've kind of decided we're going to go August, September, and maybe into October. Uh, I'm pretty sure we'll finish 2 Timothy, so don't panic. <laughs> um, and, and go into another study at that moment. But... I just, um, I'm feeling at a place where God is working, um, and we have an opportunity to learn some, so I, I thank you. I thank you for making this a priority, and trust that God's going to do something in each one of us tonight. Uh, just a few things I'm asking. I'm asking that as you continue in the study, um, that you continue to read the text. I just think, again, if you can just stay ahead a little bit and you just are familiar, it's going to mean so much more 
when you come to the study. I'm encouraging you to take notes, and I'm encouraging you to pass on something that you've learned, something that God is teaching you to somebody, somewhere, uh, whether it be emails or phone calls or, or whatever. I, I think over the years, one of the things that sticks out to me is that if I just keep the truths that God kind of reveals to me to myself, they kind of get stagnant. So I want to encourage you to, to keep passing it on. Now, I, I would, because we have been away for quite a few weeks here, I'd like to review the first two chapters. But again, um, I don't want to regurgitate everything, but, but give you kind of a big picture so we can jump right into chapter 3 and, and move forward. Remember, this is Paul's last words. This is the apostle, the one who wrote most of the New Testament, the man that was called the absolute greatest of all sinners. He was in an unbelievably ugly situation. He was incarcerated at the time. But in the dungeons of dungeons, uh, the smell, the facility, the uh, light even, was um, pretty pathetic at best. So he was miserable. And yet he knew he was really spending his last days on this planet and looking forward to an unbelievable place called eternity, called heaven called spending time with his Lord. He had, he had loved his God with all of his heart. And as we're going to see at the end of Timothy, he felt that he finished his race well. And so we're going to be looking at, at all those things, and, and actually some really exciting things that are coming up as we finish here. But as I look at this book, I really see the old guy seriously ready to die handing the baton over and saying, Timothy, you've got you to run the race now for me. So I want to encourage you. I noticed you have not been that encouraged. I noticed the churches beat you up. I, I've noticed that there's some people that are believing some wrong doctrine. I've noticed, and he goes through them, because some of the things that he's sharing, you have a very clear understanding, especially if you read the first letter that he wrote to Timothy. This was a challenge. I don't know if Timothy had resigned. I don't know if he was going to quit. I don't know any of those things. But I know this, is that ministry or life at times is hard. And every one of us entertained the idea, I think I want to quit. I think I want to quit. I, I, I've been a want leader now for 470 years, you know, 470 years, I don't think I want to see another 8-year-old, to be quite honest, and I am done. So we all think about that, but then Jim Petrini says, no, I'm going to come back again. Either that or my wife's going to kill me. So I don't know if it's the Lord or if it's my wife, but I'm there, okay? And, and we're going to make a difference again in kids' lives. But we all have these opportunities. We all have these scenarios. I get it. But Timothy was teetering. And so what the Apostle Paul does is encourage Timothy. And it still blows my mind because why would the Apostle Paul be the encourager instead of asking Timothy to go there and encourage him <laughs> to make it through these next few weeks or months? It didn't matter. There was something different about the Apostle. 
And in spite of the situations or circumstances, which every one of us at times have lousy, we do. But this was really lousy. And this is what he said. He said, Timothy, I want you to know you are such a special young man. I want you to use your gifts. You have some amazing gifts. Don't misuse them. Don't let them kind of, um, you know, fall away. But use the gifts that God has given you. He said, secondly, don't ever be ashamed of your Lord. He said, I, I know that there's times that you're going to wonder about your king and wonder if it's even worth it. But don't be ashamed of him. Then, Timothy, I want you to do this. I want you to know and teach the truth. God's word is amazing. In fact, later on in chapter 3 and almost all of chapter 4, you guys are going to be absolutely amazed at what Paul's understanding of the Bible is all about. Now, you guys, I'm, I, I sense you respect God's Word. Some of you, again, you've been in the church, you've read God's Word, you've studied God's Word a long time. But I'm pretty sure I stand like a beginner as I look at what Paul says about the Scriptures. All right? And I think we're all going to look at this because I do think we think the Scriptures are important. But I just don't think we have the same perspective as Paul. And I think we're going to grow toward that as we kind of look at this study. But he's very clear from the beginning. Timothy, the Word of God is amazing. I want you to know it. I want you to teach the truth. And I want you, and this is very clear, first part of chapter 2, I want you to be strong in the grace of message. That's the thing. Don't forget all that God did for you. Don't ever assume that this was light or any. God loves you like crazy and wants to grace you. Be strong in the message that He loves you, pursues you, died in your place, and has given you opportunity for abundant living and eternal living. Then He goes right where He's living. And he says, Timothy, I want you to endure suffering. In fact, people are surprised in 2 Timothy how much he talks about suffering. And we may get into that depending on how far we get today. But, but Paul reminds him over and over again. He's not saying, look at me, I'm suffering. Feel sorry for me. He's just saying this, is that if you're going to be a God follower, if you're going to be all in, if you're going to be a disciple, you are going to suffer. You are. And so he is reminding him of that. Then he talked about just himself, um, and, and we enjoyed, I think, just some of the illustrations. But he said, Timothy, keep yourself pure. Keep yourself holy. We talked about holy just really being clean, and how God looks at us as plates almost, and says, hey, I, I want to be using you in the kingdom, but I can't use dirty plates. You know, that discuss every one of us, you know, if we went to the restaurant. I used that illustration. Uh, and God just says this, that's what holy is. Holy is clean. Holy is you're confessing your sin. Holy is you are not dirty. And God says, when you are not dirty, I can use you. I want to use you. you this is an amazing opportunity for you. And he says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Run away from anything that makes you dirty. 
that makes you unholy, whatever word you want to use, anything that will compromise your cleanliness. And you know what? We all have our bents. I don't know what bent. I don't know what exactly is the thing that the enemy will focus on in your life or the things that the enemy will focus on so that you sin. All right? And you do your own thing. You rebel against God somewhere. All right? I don't know what idol you're going to make. I don't know what choices you're going to make that are not seeking first God's kingdom. All of us have these different bents, and at different seasons in our life, we have different pressures. All of us. Okay? But really what Paul is saying, hey, don't kind of meander around any kind of sin or disobedience. Run from that. And then pursue righteous living. Run after Run away from anything that might cause you to stumble. And run toward anything that might help you stay focused. And then he talked about a servant of God. The very last thing we chatted about was, um, of course he was a pastor, and of course he had certain responsibilities that maybe not all of you have. But realistically what he was sharing is, is what do really good, healthy servants of God look like? And he describes something, well, a servant of God must be kind, really must be patient, and must be able to teach. Must be kind to those who are extra grace required people. Kind to those people that don't treat you very nice. Kind to those people that are not just plain kind to you. So, as you walk with God, one of the things that's going to stick out is that you're going to love somebody that is really hard to love. You're going to grace them even though they don't deserve to be graced. And people are going to look around if they honestly see you and say, what are you doing? Saying, well, God's changed something in my life. God's doing something different and I have capacity that's really different than I had even days or years before. He said, you must be patient. One of the things I've noticed as I've gotten older, um, not that I'm necessarily getting more patient, but, but in some ways I am, what patience is, is really letting God, or trusting God, to do things in His timing. See, patience is really a self-focused kind of response. You know, a lack of patience means how come things aren't changing the way I want them to change to benefit me? <laughs> okay? And and it just is. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, how come I'm not patient with my car getting fixed? You know, why is it taking so long? How come my house? How come my health? How come my kids aren't responding? And And it's all a lack of faith in God, ultimately. Because we just feel we know more than God. Patience is something that we are able to grow in our faith and trust God in a whole different realm. Then lastly, able to teach. Well, we're going to jump into chapter 3, so open your Bibles with me to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And what I'd like to just preface it is, is this. There's some difficult days ahead. This is what we're looking at. 
And let me, uh, again, you kind of caught right up, and, and this is a letter It's going to continue. Remember, Paul does not write in chapters. Paul does not write in verses. Paul is writing this letter. So if you can take a deep breath, we're going to start looking at chapter 3, which is about the middle of his letter. Um, and he's starting to close up his last words. He says this to Timothy. Remember, again, just remember this. The big tent, the big picture is, I need to encourage the socks off of you, Timothy. All right. This is what I'm going to do. During my last dying days, I'm going to pump your tires. And so keep that in mind. And this is what I'm going to try to do. Because this is actually one of the most depressing parts in the scriptures in some way. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will even act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now I'm going to stop there, because Paul starts off saying in the last days, and by the way, if again, you've studied the scriptures, if you hear the term the last days, most of you will probably be thinking of the time that that happens or that evolves right before the second coming, right before Jesus returns. All right? And that's probably what Paul is talking about. But realistically, um, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. I have a, I, I kind of sense, you know, that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but it doesn't really matter. But in the book of Hebrews, uh, the same term is used in the very first chapter. It says, in these last days, Jesus is revealed. All right? So, realistically, last days to us, you know, we, we are impatient and we kind of think last days might be, all right, tomorrow Jesus is coming. And that could happen. But my guess is last days are just this, these, these times which could be hundreds of years to us but a blink to God, to be quite real. So, as you look at this, I, I'm not saying that we're not in these days. But it does seem a little odd to me that Paul, who is just about dying, is saying, hey, in these last days, you know, in, in, these, in these years to come, I just want you to know, Timothy, things are going to get hard. So I don't think, again, things are actually even going to get worse. But let me ask you this question. After I read this, and you've read it along with me, how, in your opinion, does this describe our day today? I mean, this was written almost 2,000 years ago. All right. Does that describe our culture right now? Do you feel that... Um, 
you know, it's too harsh, it's not harsh enough, but tell, tell me, as, as I read this through, does it feel like today, or are we talking about a different time? Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think these days that, that Paul is describing are, are very similar to today's days. I don't know. I'm not sure worse or better. Yeah. So maybe nothing has really changed since since Paul's written this. Yeah. You hear often though, and I we oh things are getting so bad, or things are getting so you know disgusting, or and maybe that's true. I mean, whether, you know, you look, you look at the actual things that we call entertainment, you know, compared to 40 years ago, that type of thing, or the type of literature that maybe is being written right now versus 40 years ago, and, and again, certainly English and literature teachers would, would see that more. All right. I thought you were gone. They were sitting in the other room. Oh, the guy couldn't make it. They didn't understand they were supposed to come oh. here. So I apologize. You know what? Tonight's been a little bit of a disaster in every area. Okay. <laughs> so so we'll we'll kick in in next next week. Okay. I'll tell them to come here next week because I won't be. I'll be yeah. out of the state. Yeah. And then uh, if you'd like to come, we're gonna have prayer. So uh, okay. Uh, I apologize. Thank you. Uh, Thank please, you. Uh, forgive me. <laughs> oh boy, this has been a good night. <laughs> Uh, but as, as, I, as I look at these descriptions, or descriptors, all right, in all these, these different areas, I look sometimes like it's just describing our culture. Let me, let me suggest that we look at it a different way. Okay, and, and let me share with you some of the reasons why I think that. I actually think that Paul is describing poor leadership in the church, bad leadership in the church, apostate leadership in the church. He is warning people, as gross as this looks, as saying there are folks who have infiltrated this church, and I want to warn you against them. Now, we would put this all in just a very gross culture, out certainly outside the church and so on. But I think if you look at verse 8 especially, and we're not there yet, but I'm going I'm to point that to you, these teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. This is a whole section, and he's describing some bad church leadership and warning Timothy about it. I also saw this at the end of verse 5. He says, stay away from people like that. Do you know the only time we're warned about things like that is leadership in the church or people who confess to follow Jesus and are not walking with God. If the Apostle Paul is really saying all these evil people, which are neighbors, technically, people that, and I'm not saying they're, they're doing gross crimes or anything, but they are basically living apart from God, making themselves God, being lovers of themselves. I mean, that's how they respond. 
Why are we shocked when certain people make certain choices when they don't have God? I mean, it's almost ridiculous at times. Because if you didn't have God, you'd make all those same decisions. You know, what would be best for me? How can I spend my money on me? What is the most important thing is me, you know. Whereas once you become a God follower, that begins to change where you are very self-focused, you become more God-focused. That kind of scenario. So what I'm thinking is, is although this could describe a culture, I am almost thinking that the apostle is describing really poor leadership in the church, which means leadership like this can happen if we don't stay connected with God. Now let's go over a few of these things, though. Because really what I look at, and I'm not even going to try to show, you know, throw pastors underneath the train. I'm not going to try to throw church leaders underneath the train. But realistically, the Apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy that there are people that are going to sneak in and destroy or try to destroy the church. All right? And what he lists to me are disastrous consequences of self-centeredness. Is that when we become self-focused, this is what happens to us in our culture. Now my guess is, after I got through reading this, none of us would be drawn to these people. I mean, we wouldn't. But this is what happens when every one of us replace the Almighty God with ourselves. So let's, let's just look at it. First of all, self-absorbed and self-focused. Lovers of self, very narcissistic. Um, remember, when you love yourself most, that simply means that everything else is loved less. All right. Now, you can tell usually people love themselves more than anything else by looking at their calendars or their checkbook. Those are, those are two areas that technically will show what's important in a person's life. All right? And I think, again, realistically, those are some things that we start asking ourselves. You know, none of us would line up and say, I want to make an idol of something. What happens is it kind of sneaks in. You know, we, we start making choices, poor choices. Or we get lazy, or we want we strive toward being comfortable, all right? And all of a sudden, as a result, each one of us begin to shift, even unknowingly. And, it, and it's kind of one of those things that one day you wake up, and all of a sudden you're ashamed at the choices and the things that are going on in your own lives. And I think, really, what, what Paul's doing right here is just saying... That, you know, if you focus on yourself, things are just not going to go well. Now, one area that, I'd, that I'd, I'll probably tread softly here, but even in the church I hear this, and the focus a lot is on a person's self-worth. All right? Hey, you got to love yourself before you can love God. you got to love yourself before you can love others. And, and you hear that. And actually, that doesn't sound bad to me, right? I mean, 
really you're you're made in God's image and you're really doing you know you you really ought to appreciate the things about yourself and actually what i see in all this is that that's really not what god has asked us to do i mean it may even sound good psychologically it may sound good in in the therapy room i, I don't know but god's principle is love me and then love others. I don't see a lot of loving yourself. Um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't appreciate who God has made you. But I think what happens is that realistically, if this shifts, then everything else shifts. That's why God says, what's the most important thing? I want you to love me. Love me. Okay. I'm going to give you your worth. I'm going to share with you how important you are. I, I'm just going to let you know. You, you don't actually need everyone else to. It's not a bad thing, but, but that's not the most important thing. most important thing is you love me, and then you start to love others. And I'm telling you that this will align everything else in your life. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, just shoot over there just, just real fast. Um, this again is the Apostle Paul. He is in jail. He's not in his pathetic prison as he's in right now. But he is in an uncomfortable situation. And he's really using Jesus as an example. Some of us get a little bit, you know, intimidated by that. You know, like, you know, if Jesus is our model, we kind of all blow it. I get that. But really, that's what God is doing, is chipping away all of the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus or reflect Jesus well as we spend time with Jesus. But in chapter 2, look at verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. And then the verse that kind of caps it all, you must have the same attitude as Jesus had. And then he goes on and gives an example. Though he was God, he chose to serve. Though he was king, he sacrificed. And you go right through this. And, and so some of us say, well, you know what? I deserve this or that. And, and we go through some of this litany of stuff. And I think what the Apostle Paul was all the way through, he says, hey, I, I just want you to know, if you're going to be self-focused, if you're going to be self-absorbed, if you're going to go down this direction, um, it's only going to end up in, and let's read some of this, you will be boastful, which actually is verbal outbursts of self-love. They are the focus and heroes of their own stories, people who are boastful. Uh, Paul says proud, puffed up. And yet we see all the way through scriptures and in Proverbs, especially in James chapter 4 verse 6, God doesn't just dislike the proud, he opposes the proud. I, I don't, you know, none of us want to have God as an enemy. I get that. But really, arrogant people including everyone in this room at times, God opposes. 
All right. What verse is that? Uh, that would be um, James 4, 6. <laughs> then he goes on, and he says, these, these leaders, again, um, they will scoff at God, be disobedient or disrespectful, maybe be a better way to their parents, and ungrateful. Um, they don't really love others. They don't forgive others. They slander. They lack self-control. These are all things that... Something wrong, Sharon? No, I, I'm not um, okay. following where you think these are Christians, the leaders in the church. Okay. We'll go, we'll go back here again. Is that... Paul is reminding Timothy, hey, there's going to be some rough days ahead. Okay. Um, Part of the suffering is that there's going to be people that weasel their way into the church and get leadership positions. And this is going to identify them. The reason I think there are leaders, because in verse 8, Paul talks about these teachers are teachers who oppose the truth. They're not talking about just a normal culture. And I'm, they were leaders in Egypt, which we're going to get to, but I'm just trying to paint this picture before we get there. I guess I'm wondering because all the um, character qualities that the leaders had to have to be part of leadership, would that have been the checks and balances? I'm not saying that these were all in gospel churches. I'm not saying they were all... but. But these are people, again, who are opposing the gospel. These are people that, again, what, what the Apostle says in verse 5, stay away from leaders like this. Stay away from people like this. Well, they could be, and, and I think they're church leaders, actually. I think there's people who have weaseled themselves in and are self-focused. I could give you probably examples of leaders today who are part of the church, who Paul would be describing right here. Okay, I, I think that. I think in some ways, except the Pharisees were so, it was so black and white. I, I think these guys weren't black and white. I think, again, we're going to see down in just a little bit that they... Um, had the image of following God, but they lacked the power of it in just a little bit. Okay, that they went through the motions, but but realistically, I think what what the apostle is trying to do for Timothy is warn him about this, but also say, I think this can happen to you. I think this can. If you don't walk with me, if you don't stay connected with me, you can all of a sudden turn and be self-focused versus God-focused. I think it's a warning for us to look carefully, but also for us to fall in that same same trap. And as as you as you go through this, I mean. Um, They'll be cruel, they will hate what is good, they will betray their friends, be reckless, they'll be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. 
Let's let's look at verse five here for a second because I I think this is actually a key part here, um, not the last part but the first part. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And as I look at this, you know, um, act religious without experiencing the power of God. Act religious without having the life-transforming power of the gospel active in your life. I think that people will have the shape and appearance, kind of the ideas, there's a silhouette. A silhouette kind of shows you a little bit about the image, but it's not the real thing. Okay, and I think this is the picture that the Apostle Paul is painting here, is that there's a lot of people that are going to say a lot of things that are really destructive. They're really only focused on themselves. They're not really pointing you in the right direction. And one of the keys to understanding this is that they look really good, even Pharisees, on the outside, but they experience no transformation, no power. Transformation is not happening here if people are self-focused. All right? Again, look at what the fruit of the Spirit is. Look at what Jesus Christ does. And these things all look very, very different than what the Apostle is describing, at least at this moment. So he goes on, you know, just saying... I, I want you to be careful. I think there are some leaders like this. Uh, what you don't understand is the more self-focused and the less God-focused you are, there's going to be ugly ramifications. And then he goes on in the next three verses. All right, we'll look at that, we'll read that, and we'll try to bring most of this together. He goes, they're the kind, these, these leaders who work their way into people's homes, this is verse 6, and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Paul is talking about some very specific things right now. We're going to pull something out of this. All right? There is someone in mind here. There is some destruction that's happening in the Ephesian church right now, right specifically about this. He's saying there are some leaders that using their influence, their self-love, um, to just, shall I say, uh, whet their own appetites. Now again, you're going to look at this, well, are, are women weak? Or that? I'm, I'm going to get to that in, in a whole set, in a whole, in a moment here. But, Women who are burdened with guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Verse 7. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. They have depraved minds, talking about these teachers in the church, and a counterfeit faith. But they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. Now let me, let me just share something about this. First of all, what the Apostle is saying is that there are going to be people that are so self-absorbed that all they want to do is satisfy their own needs. They're going to go after people who they can take advantage of. 
Okay, in this case, there must have been some women. In this case, there must have been some scenarios or situations and says, you know what, we're going to get our way with this one. I don't know actually what happened. I don't know if this was a sexual thing. I don't know if this was a money thing. You know, I mean, you hear about all these kind of even TV preachers that, you know, are gaining all kinds of funds from widows, you know, living on hard, you know, little pensions here and there, but all of a sudden this evangelist or whatever, and, and you know, I'm going to give my life savings over to this guy so that, you know, whatever happens. I mean, this is the same kind of thing, guys. There's charlatans out there, is what I'm saying. Now, you may have been protected because you are in a somewhat of a healthy church. Or maybe you've been in healthy churches most of your life. But there are charlatans. And at least at this time, it was a big deal. We look at the ramifications of the fruit of this and we go, how, how could anybody follow someone so self-absorbed? Well, man, I mean, look at some of the cults that happen. Look at some of the, why, why would you, you know, I mean, we make fun of this now, but why would you drink the Kool-Aid, guys? You know, why would you give all of your money? Why would you move, you know, to some commune? What, what, what is going on here? These are young people. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of, of real people, you know. And they're over there drinking this poison because the dude <laughs> says this is right. You know, this is how you'll enter nirvana. This is how you'll enter the king. You know, what, what is going on here? Well, it's very clear they didn't understand the scripture. It's very clear. We're going to find out this. And, and Paul says, hey, this is really important that you understand what God has to say, what the Bible has to say, what real leaders are. Real leaders don't do this. Godly men and women don't do this. They don't take advantage of this. Now, again, do people do this and confess their sin? Well, absolutely. Okay. I mean, everyone sins and everyone rebels. I get that. But there, again, all the way through the Scripture, there are leaders are at a different standard. That's why leaders... I mean, if someone sins in leadership, they go before a church, okay? Not everyone who sins has to go before a church and confess their sin, but there are things that God expects out of leaders. There are greater responsibilities, all right? Um, but here, let me, let's look at this. These teachers oppose the truth, just like Janus and Jambres. Nobody in the scriptures know what Janus and Jambres is. No one, I mean, you can look in your study Bibles, they're not mentioned anywhere else. The best I can figure out to some of the better commentators is that they believe that Janus and Jambres were one of the um, witches or, or sorcerers or, or people that Moses literally opposed during his time in his battle with Pharaoh. Okay, so when Moses threw his, his rod down and it became a snake, what people are thinking is probably Janus and Jambri were one of those, maybe they were the lead people, they would throw down their, their staff and make a snake. When some of, of the water, the Nile, was turned into blood, it was maybe Janus and Jambri's 
who eventually just said, well, oh, you do that to the Nile, I'm doing it to all the wells. You know, and you remember those stories. Now, nobody can prove that, all right? Some people have even thought, and I'm just going to let you know this, Janus, the, the actual translation of Janus means seducer, and the actual translation of Jambres means rebel, all right? So maybe people are thinking, oh, well, they're just using these names in a, in a kind of a secretive way and saying, hey, there's going to be some who are seducers and some who just rebel against God openly. I think realistically, Timothy knew who the heck Janus and Jambres was, or else we would have had the understanding there. Yeah, Mike. Um, this footnote that yeah. I have says they were not mentioned in the Old Testament. Right. They were handed down in Jewish tradition as the names of Egyptian magicians yeah. who opposed Moses during the ten plagues against Egypt. Right. And there's not even a lot of research on that, though. Yeah, that, honestly, that, there isn't a lot of research. Let's just say it was, though. Let's just say it was the magicians and they were the ones. Realistically, remember, they came to a place that eventually the magicians couldn't do what God, God's leaders did. Okay, at that moment. There was, there was finally a time where they just came to and said, okay, this is a God thing. We can't do it. And so, you know, as you look at the scriptures here and say, hey, they're not going to get away from with this for long. They're not going to do that. Eventually, their true, I'll say it this way, their true colors will be shown. All right? It's eventually going to happen that their lack of power, lack of authority, or self-focus instead of focusing on God, um, it will be made known. So if you look at this, you know, what I, what I really would like to do is someone, someday, everyone will recognize their foolish leadership. These guys have depraved minds. And it is the same word, let me share with you, that the apostle used. Again, you know, he, he, I'm sure he has certain vocabulary. But it's the same word he used in Romans 1 about reprobate minds. In other words, what he literally is saying here is that these guys are so deceived, they're so self-enamored, all right, I would say, okay, that they have become reprobate. And a reprobate, the, way, the best way you can describe that is a person who has chosen to disobey God and disobey God and disobey God to a place where he or she does not know the difference between right and wrong because they have chosen to disobey God or live without God or not come underneath God's reign or rule for so long that now they don't know what right or wrong is. So you can look at that in Romans chapter 1, but this is exactly the same, same term. He said, they have reprobate minds, they have depraved minds, they have established continual uh, disobedience, and as a result of that, they are ultimately deceived people. Now, they have a counterfeit faith, they don't have anything that is 
real. Now, on a positive note, okay, and although uh, Paul doesn't go here, I'm going to go here. Because this is pretty depressing, to be quite honest. I want to encourage you, Timothy, in these last days, there's going to be some pretty rotten people around. They are going to be deceptive. They are going to lead people astray. That is why you, Timothy, I want you to understand what God's Word is. I want you to understand what God's grace is. I want you to speak the truth, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. You're going to see this. He goes, Timothy, your only hope is that you understand God's Word. That's what he is saying right here. But he's also, I'd like to bring in some other scriptures on what good leaders look like. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Now again, we have a lot of respect for Peter. Not because he always went the straight and narrow. Not because he always was faithful. We, we know he wasn't. But he knew how to care for the church. He was a good shepherd. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says this. Peter's writing. And now a word to you who are elders in the church. I too am an elder. Or I'm a shepherd, literally is what he's saying. And have witnessed to the sufferings of Christ. I too will share in his glory when he's revealed to the whole world. As a fellow shepherd or elder, I appeal to you, Peter says, care for the flock that God has entrusted you to. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you'll get out of it. Stop right there. That's a big difference. Okay? So, unbelievably godly, God-centered shepherds are not going to be self-focused. They're going to be caring for the sheep and guiding people in that direction. Not for what you'll get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord over people that are assigned to your care. Don't be this great authority. Don't, don't be your ruler. You know, that's what everybody else does. But I want you to do, I want you to shepherd people, okay? Um, but lead them in your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Just some other verses. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 says this. I am the good shepherd. Jesus says this. You know, the difference is I came to give abundant life. I want you to know the other shepherds come to kill and destroy and disrupt. So the difference is, I care about you. I want you to experience life. Everyone else is going to be out for their own self. Not for the sheep. Not caring for the sheep. Then he says this, I am the good shepherd. I give up my life for a sheep. Now, folks, again, leaders in the church are shepherds. Good leaders will give up their lives for others. They will be others-focused. They won't be focused on themselves. And all he's saying, you know what, Timothy? If you are self-focused, or if you allow your people to, to be under this leadership type of, of direction, they will be destroyed. Now again, uh, just a few others in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. 
We already went to chapter 2, but in that place, he's writing a letter to the church at Philippi, and he says this, Hey, I want to remind you, there's not a lot of people that truly care for you. And he reminds them, the, the church at Philippi, he says, My friend Timothy, and this is who he's writing to, he genuinely cares for you, the flock. That's what he does. And then really in Acts chapter 20, if you look at starting in verse 17 all the way through, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's meeting with the elders at, at uh, Ephesus. He's on his way traveling, actually, um, to a different place, but we sent word out to his favorite church, was the church at Ephesus, and that was the church that Timothy was pastoring. Okay, and in Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17, let me just read that for you, or you can just listen. At verse 17, or 18. And when they arrived, the elders, you know, and he, he said this, he declared, you know that from the day I said, foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly. That means the opposite of, of proud. Okay? He cared about others more than himself. And with many tears. He, he took it seriously. Alright? I've endured the trials that come to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have one message for the Jews and the Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord. And it's just a whole different mentality. I just want you to know I suffered in order to tell you the gospel. I care about you. I want you to understand the truth. This is critical for me. I read these other adjectives and descriptors of people and they make you sick. Realistically, the Apostle Paul said this. You want to be a servant. You want to um, be an unbelievable shepherd or pastor. Um, you are going to have to keep Focusing on God. Let me give you a couple big takeaways. First of all, I think ultimately we're all in a war. We really are. We're in a spiritual war. The enemy will try to do everything to deceive and disrupt us no matter what. Timothy's charge is, don't let that happen under your, uh, under your watch here, Timothy. Just don't do that. Secondly, be careful who you follow. Be careful who you follow. I, I think, again, there's, there's a lot of deception going on. And if you find genuine leaders, godly leaders, those are the ones you want to you wanna connect with. And lastly, this is kind of crude, but I'll say it, it's ugly when you don't walk with God. You know people by their fruit. You may not know right away by their fruit. Okay? I mean, salesmen, if you're in sales, I'm sorry here, but, but salesmen, their whole job is to be able to paint a picture, whether ethically or unethically, of the need of the product that they have. And so, you may not have any need for a vacuum cleaner, 
But a good salesman, when you're done, you, you may not only have a need for a vacuum cleaner, but you may have a need for this vacuum cleaner, and it will change your life if you buy this vacuum cleaner. Okay? Ethically or unethically, I don't even know. But all I can say is this, is that over time, you will know whether this vacuum cleaner is all that this salesman said. All right? Most people that really trust a product and really think it's really important and it has changed their life, you know, realistically, I think the fruit bears that out. And I, I just think Paul was talking in a very dad way, a very ending way, saying, you know, these last days are going to be tough. There's going to be a lot of deceivers out there. People are going to fall for them. But realistically, they don't care about the sheep. <laughs> they care about themselves. They, they only are concerned about themselves. And, and the ugly fruit of being concerned about yourselves is this arrogance and this bragging and this, this grossness. And he goes, Timothy, really, be a different kind of shepherd. Offer them. Make sure you know in protect, I, I think there's even some of this protection going on. But fruit happens. And you can't deceive. Um, you can't deceive people forever. You really can't. So my encouragement is that for some reason, in the middle of this unbelievably huge, encouraging letter, all right, there are about nine verses here. That, that Paul really goes off on um, ungodly, self-focused leaders. I think in some ways, like I said, it, it was a little bit pointed toward Timothy, but more toward, do you realize that you need to understand God's Word so well that you can protect your sheep? When you come back next week, we are going to turn a corner and actually talk about what the Scripture means. Um, again, go very positive rather than negative all the way through the end of the letter where he just keeps pumping Timothy's tires and will be pumping your tires on just how important it is to stay in God's Word, to listen to God's Word, um, and, and to let God's Word convict you and guide you in all of your life. You'll never regret these next chapter and a half, um, in my opinion, because I just think it's so powerful. It just is. So let's pray, and uh, we'll, we'll call it a night of confusion and other important things here.